Digital health, it's so popular, it's increasing in uh, popularity left, right and centre. Many entrepreneurs and startups are entering this space. It's fantastic to hear actually, and as a public health doctor, I love seeing this. But when you really peel back the onion, and th this is the phrase of my guest today, when you peel back the onion, the number of startups actually doing something valuable does become just a handful. So how can you as an entrepreneur make sure that your startup in the health health tech space especially not only gets adopted and scales but actually adds value? For the entrepreneur watching listening, you know a lot of these guys, they they come to me asking me, you're 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 in the health sector. We've got a new algorithm, a new tech solution. How do we take it to the health? So who do we partner up with? How do we validate this and so on? And um, it, the answer is, it's not that easy. So I want to ask you, what should the entrepreneur who's approaching the health sector with a new tech solution algorithm, especially, think about and consider when they're bringing it to the market? Um. They should partner with humor. <laughs> right. Um, no, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And, uh, and, and, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a platform company, I suppose, uh, you know, we, um, we're, we're always in conversations with these types of, you know, startups that have, you know, developed, uh, an incredible technology and, uh, uh, because we, we strongly believe that this is not a one-man mission. <laughs> um, if you want to, you know, disrupt an industry and 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 change things fundamentally, we we we, it has to be through collaboration and partnerships, right? Uh, and uh, um, and that's why, yeah, we 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 constantly evaluate these types of, you know, especially early stage startups and early stage technologies, where uh, where we could integrate their technologies into our platform. And uh, you know, as you can imagine, we already have, you know, deployments in multiple different healthcare systems across different geographies. So we can accelerate that, you know, route to market, you know, for these uh, smaller startups, I suppose. And, uh, um, and we have a whole team that are dedicated on, on, on looking out for these types of solutions and technologies. And, and there's a lot out there. <laughs> uh, there's a lot out there and everybody has, you know, big claims, shiny websites. <laughs> and, but what you said at the beginning of our call is that when you peel the onion, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult to find. Uh, it's, 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 it's really a, a handful of, you know, companies, technologies that are coming up with some very, very promising stuff. But uh, it's it's complex the, the, the entire healthcare space is very complex, right? You might have a great idea and uh, you could speak to the, you know, the top level, uh, you know, CEO of a hospital or, uh, or life science company. And they might say, oh, this is brilliant. Okay, let's do this, you know, it's great. But, but it doesn't really work that way because actually who you need to convince is all the people 
who need to operationalize this underneath, right? Uh, and the operational level is the really tricky part, right? Um, and it's, and that's why, you know, you need to consider um, the technical challenges and the requirements um, around, you know, data security, data integration, the flow of data, you know, where are your servers going to sit? You know, can you take data outside of the country? Can I, you know, what geographies am I going to target? You know, uh, regulatory, again, you know, uh, is, is, is very important. What is the, what is the intended use of my technology or the, or the algorithm, right? Uh, and you can have uh, a wellness use case, right? Where you know you can you're not making any 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 claims, uh, but um, and you might be the intended use might be you know a, a consumer application, for example. That, uh, uh, but but if you wanted to tap into the healthcare space and launch these solutions in clinical settings where where doctors and nurses are relying on this information to make clinical decisions, it's a highly, highly regulated environment. And, uh, and the evidence that needs to be generated before even thinking about launching anything in, the, uh, in a clinical setting is, uh, is quite significant. Uh, and that's, um, that's why I talked about the fact that it takes years to generate the evidence, to get the regulatory approvals, and so on, and 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 we talk to all kinds of companies, and you know they they you know they they claim you know that they have this new you know biomarker, and I'm just making it up right now, right? That that you know that can diagnose asthma from your voice, you know, <laughs> and, but then you know you look at okay like. What, where is the clinical validation? Where is the technical validation? And then you realize, oh, okay, you know, we've tested it in uh, in ten patients, and uh, they were uh, all women. They were all, you know, uh, Caucasian, and uh, <laughs> uh, and we've only, you know, tested it on, you know, microphones inside an iPhone 12, for example, right? So that doesn't work, right? <laughs> So you need to really consider, you know, the, the scalability of these solutions. You know, you need to make sure that uh, uh, if you are building an algorithm that's relying on the sensors of the phone, uh, and you need to make sure that it works on all the phones, not just on iOS or an, uh, an Android, but all the different models. You know, going back that the, the sensors are, you know, the, the difference in sensors are not affecting the accuracy of your algorithm. Uh, and the same goes for the wearables, right? There, there are, you know, thousands and thousands of different wearables out there. You know, which one, uh, which one do you use? Which one can you rely on? Uh, so it's always important to design your validation studies uh, appropriately uh, from the beginning, with a clear intended use, with a clear understanding of the requirements of the regulatory bodies like the FDA, so that you know you're not just thinking about the accuracy of the of the algorithm because yes there is the accuracy of the algorithm there's a technical validation piece where you need to compare it against the gold standard but then when you're going to that next stage you know when you're doing your clinical validation you really have to think about okay what is the cohort of patients that are going to be using this technology 
uh, and and you have to be uh, very inclusive uh, within your study of all the different um, um, outliers that can that can potentially come up, uh, uh, and 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 not just testing again the accuracy of the algorithm, but also the usability and the the, the patient experience and the acceptance and the, um, you know how should the, the the UI should should look like you know lots of user testing goes into that process so it's uh, it's not as straightforward as it sounds <laughs> and that's why when I say there aren't many companies out there that are doing it well um, there are a few but uh, but yeah just just kind of being aware of all of the uh, the complexities and the requirements uh, from the beginning will. Uh, enable you to get to that stage where you can actually saying, okay, now our, my algorithm, my product is ready for launch in a clinical space. Just speaking to you now, you know, you've had a few years of experience in the um, startup world, but I just want to pick your brain as a clinician specifically. Um, do you feel that the greatest need is more, if we just divide it up into three phases right now, on the preventive, let's focus on cardiology just as an example, just because you're familiar with it. Is it more on the prevention? Is it more on supporting early diagnosis? Or do you feel that more tech solutions and digital health solutions are needed for patient management? When I speak to other clinicians when I'm trying to convince them as to why to use technology it's it's you know the the, the first thing goes to okay how is it going to help me manage my patients today you know and uh, how is it going to reduce my workload how is it going to make me more efficient how is it going to uh, you know provide cost savings and so on I think um, so if I would say there are two approaches. I mean, if, you, if you're going into the healthcare space and you're trying to sell your product to uh, hospitals and clinicians, then it, it needs to be very much about the management of the patients. Uh, if you want to focus on the prevention side, which is what we all need to be doing essentially, <laughs> uh, but I think the the population health approach is a bit more of a different approach. I think that would be more um, through the the governments and the payers. Uh, you know, uh, I think would be the, the your your target um, clients, I suppose. So uh, there are solutions needed for for both. <laughs> uh, but I guess your your sort of target clientele will be slightly. Uh, different, I would say. We have this grand vision as, as entrepreneurs, as innovators, that, you know, there's a lot of things that people need, but as you just highlighted now, we're not necessarily going to be reimbursed. Uh, and the other side of it is return on investment for your investors, right? So oftentimes for the kinds of things that humor and I'm interested in, which is chronic disease prevention, uh, especially, um, it takes years to demonstrate any real benefit sometimes, unless you get 
uh, more proximal uh, indicators that you're interested in measuring. So I'm curious how you approach your startup strategy in terms of doing what needs to be done whilst meeting the needs of your investors. It does take a long time <laughs> um, to demonstrate outcomes, um, particularly in when you're looking at sort of population health and um, or chronic disease management. Um, and it's and that's not easy because long-term engagement with digital solutions in general is a, a tough nut to crack, right? Uh, and uh, and that's why it's important to go for quick wins. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I suppose that's you know what. Uh, what we've done as well, you know, because uh, we thought, okay, here is this remote patient monitoring management solution. Um, and when we were trying to sell it, you know, four years, five years ago, we couldn't because we couldn't really demonstrate any outcomes, right? So, um, and we spent two years, maybe three years, you know, the doing pilots left, right, and center, you know, free pilots. And, and I remember at one point, I think we had about, you know, this was when I first joined the company, we had about, I think, 100 different projects across the NHS, you know, in you know, 30, 40 different therapeutic areas. And, and it, was, it was tough because um, nobody was being reimbursed for using our technology. So the clinicians weren't engaged. Um, the patient engagement, if the clinicians aren't engaged and then the patient engagement drops off, uh, particularly with chronic diseases, again, long-term engagement uh, without having, you know, sort of clear understanding of uh, Of creating that, you know, stickiness with the with the with the solution with the technology, and that also takes years, right? That takes years of user testing and feedback, and you know, interviews, and uh, and and that's what we've been doing essentially. You know, this whole concept of you know user-centric, patient-centric design, you know, interviewing clinicians, really trying to understand what is of value to them, uh, and how can you sort of shift the needle for them. Um, so it takes a long time, but, but, you know, what we sort of quickly realized is that, okay, maybe we don't want to go for those tough wins, right? You know, uh, and, 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 and spend years, you know, waiting for outcomes to come. Uh, and we thought, you know, okay, there's a huge need to support patients, for example, within episodic care, right? There's chronic care and then there's episodic care where a patient comes in, receives a treatment or an intervention and is discharged. So it's not necessarily chronic disease management, but it's for a, a, an episode that has a beginning date and an end date, right? And surgery is a great example of that, right? 
Um, so as a patient, you're told you need surgery. You know, there's a whole preparation period that you need to go through. Uh, you need to be optimized for that surgery. You need to stop smoking, stop certain medications, etc. And, uh, and then you need to be supported once you've had the surgery, right, in your rehabilitation process. And, and in these types of episodic engagements, as, as you can imagine, the patients are a lot more anxious uh, and, and, and they need that additional support, right? Uh, and, and that's what we sort of, you know, focused on to begin with. We said, okay, let's focus on, you know, peri-op management, let's focus on, uh, you know, post-admission monitoring to prevent readmissions. And uh, COVID-19 was a great example of that, you know, where you're just providing monitoring for two, three week time period where the patients are self-isolating at home. And, and when we did that, you know, we, we were getting engagement rates of about 93%. <laughs> which was, you know, the, the, the average in the industry in digital health applications and so on is, is about 40, 50%. And, uh, you know, um, so that was, that was, you know, even shocking for us to see, right, uh, when we saw that. And, and at the same time, we were generating outcomes. You know, we were actually demonstrating, hey, you know, you're preventing this many, you know, uh, readmissions. You're actually, you know, uh, preventing this many patients from deteriorating at home by bringing their surgical date forward, and you know the the waiting lists in the NHS today, you know it's it's a it's a massive problem. Right? We have millions and millions of patients waiting for elective surgeries, right? How do you keep an eye on them, and how do you make them feel supported while they're waiting for their surgical date, uh, and 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 preventing them from just deteriorating at home by simply monitoring one or two vital signs and their symptoms, right? And and we, we've launched this solution and we're now trying to push it nationally through NHS England. Uh, and, and, and already within sort of two months of launch, we could see, you know, out of, I think we at Royal Brompton right now for their elective cardiac procedures, uh, you know, we have about I think 800 to about 1,000 patients on our platform that are being monitored. And, and I think 20% of that population, would we identified that they were deteriorating, their surgical dates were brought forward. And, you know, that's, that's, that's technically saving lives, right? That's, uh, uh, and these are the types of, you know, quick wins that, uh, you know, a, a good strategy can enable you to, um, to, 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 to get to market quicker. And then, you know, as you, um, as you launch these solutions, as you learn, as you do more testing and you make your platform and your solution more engaging, then you can start tackling the more difficult problems. I think that's, uh, that will be the, the advice I will give. <laughs> You and I have been talking behind the scenes for at least a few years now, I'm sure. And finally, I've got you here on camera. Um, really curious just to, to, to ask more about you and what led you to go from the world of clinical cardiology to joining a health startup? 
Yeah. Um, so this was uh, this was about um, uh, three years ago, um, and uh, it wasn't really the the traditional uh, route uh, I, I, I would call it. Um, it was just uh, you know sort of a combination of things that came together. And uh, <laughs> I mean, if you asked me, um, you know, ten years ago, would you imagine working in a digital health technology company? Uh, I would have absolutely said no way. Uh, you know, I was uh, an extremely um, focused, um, even when I was, you know, 10 years old, you know, people would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I would say, I'm going to be a cardiologist. And then, and I was, I was determined, focused, and uh, everything that I had done in my career has been geared towards that. I uh, completed my medical training uh, here in London at uh, King's College, and then went on to uh, to do a master's in cardiovascular research, uh, spent a bit of time in the US uh, um, at uh, Boston Children's and Rush Medical Center doing apprenticeships in, uh, uh, in cardiology and structural intervention and, uh, and came back to, uh, to continue my practice here in the UK. And basically the, 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 the six, seven years that I had been, uh, I, I practiced uh, they were mostly uh, based at specialist heart and lung centers. I, I worked for two years at Papworth Hospital in um, uh, in, in Cambridge, uh, and uh, and about four or five years uh, at Bart's uh, Bart's Heart Center here in London. Most uh, most recently as a uh, as a cardiology fellow, um, and and to be honest, uh, I was always interested in digital technologies and uh, and working in the NHS for a good you know six seven years you really understand you know the inefficiencies of the system uh, as a whole um, and we see patients back to back you know in clinics day in day out and uh, and I was always thinking you know more than 70, 80% of these patients that I'm seeing in clinics, they don't need to be here. You know, if, if only I had more visibility on them, if I had more data on them, uh, then uh, I could just see the right patient at the right time and, and bring so much more efficiency to the, to the whole care delivery process. So I started, you know, working with the, um, uh, exploring a few digital health applications. Uh, there were some new technologies that were coming up, you know, four or five years ago that were utilizing the, the camera of the smartphones as a, um, uh, as a heart rate monitoring device, essentially. Uh, and uh, and we, we had patients from all over the country. You know, we, we were managing about 10,000 patients that they were all scattered around the country. and. And we would get calls every single day um, about patients experiencing palpitations, dizzy spells, chest pain, and uh, and what do you do with them, right? You know, do you, do you reassure them? Do you tell them to go to their local, you know, A and E or their GP to get an ECG, or do you get them to travel in some cases four or five hours all the way to London come to come see us, right? And uh, 
and I actually started using some of these uh, applications with with my patients with uh, with great success. So you know, I could, I wasn't just reassuring them based on a conversation, but I was actually reassuring them based on the data coming from these digital applications, and. Uh, and around that uh, that time, my, my wife uh, actually became pregnant uh, with our uh, second child. I have two two little daughters, um, and uh, and I just wanted to take a little bit of time away from clinical practice and uh, and support her a bit, um, as you can imagine, with the night shifts and the uh, on calls, etc. It uh, it becomes quite quite uh, hectic, especially as a cardiology registrar in the NHS and. Uh, so I actually left clinical practice to 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 uh, to do a PhD, um, and uh, and it just so happened that uh, I, um, uh, you know, that that PhD wasn't wasn't quite for me, and uh, and I um, dropped out of that after about four or five weeks and started to look for other opportunities, uh, and uh, I looked into uh, you know life science companies and uh, and a few startups and. Uh, and humor was one that really stood out for me at the time. Um, even though they were still quite early stage, what they were trying to achieve um, really sort of uh, uh, resonated with me. Um, and it was all about bringing efficiency to the system, supporting patients better, enabling that connected care. Um, and. Uh, and of course, on the on the R and D side, we you know we what we wanted to do was to be more predictive and proactive and enable that sort of shift from you know reactive medicine to proactive medicine, is, which is you know what everybody uh, has been talking about for the last 10, 20 years. But uh, but the missing piece was for me the technology, you know that uh, and. Uh, and I think it was about that time, four or five years ago, that finally the uh, the sensors and those wearables and the smartphones, you know, really came to a certain level of maturation that uh, enabled us to, to collect this type of data, real world data continuously and to um, inform better clinical decision making essentially. So. Uh, that really resonated with me, and uh, and I was I just thought you know I, I was going to do a PhD for three years. Let me let me let me try this uh, for three years, and uh, um, I had zero experience uh, in 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 the um, in the business side, uh, in the commercial side of healthcare. I suppose uh, no entrepreneurship experience whatsoever. Everything I had done was just purely medicine before that, um, but uh, but yeah. I, I, so to me, it was a bit of a a trial. Um, at, uh, but uh, you know, it's been a it's been it's been a very very interesting journey over the last uh, three years for me at Huma, and uh, and we've been growing steadily and successfully. So um, I think that is. You know the reason why I'm still here, and, uh, and that I haven't gone back to clinical practice. Uh, but yeah, that that was kind of uh, my journey in a nutshell. But. Nice. A lot of what you just said resonates with me. I hear you in terms of the the journey that you've been through. In terms of first of all appreciating the clinical need, and then personal 
life uh, reasons, you also want to pursue a path that gives you some of that freedom on the evenings and night shifts, for sure. I appreciate that. You know, I think you joined Metapad at the time, or because uh, Humor is, what, two years old now, isn't it, the, the name? Well, I mean, uh, humor, humor was just a rebrand, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, Metapad has been around for, um, for about eight, nine years, actually. Uh, and... Uh, and when uh, Dan, our CEO, first founded Metapad, it was trying to tackle a whole different uh, problem. Uh, within the hospital space, we have various um, various different systems, right? Uh, that we look at. You know, we have a we have our electronic medical records, and then we have another system for uh, lab results, and a and a PAC system that we need to log into for imaging, and another system to dictate our you know letters and so on. So. What Metapad was trying to solve at the time was to integrate and bring in all of these different systems inside the hospital onto an iPad and put it into the hands of patients who are doing their ward rounds and so on. But, uh, but then there was a, a pivot about uh, five, five or six years ago, I would say, uh, where Dan sort of realized the complexities of, you know, integrating different systems into, into one and uh, realized that this wasn't going to be a, a scalable business, I suppose, and really um, realized that the, the more significant value lies in the data outside of the four walls of the clinic, because, uh, you know, everything we do in medicine today is, is, is very much uh, snapshots snapshot views of the patients, right? You go and get your blood test done, you go and get your x-ray and uh, you go and see your doctor and uh, the next follow-up is in 12 months time. So it's always that, you know, we're managing patients based on data coming from snapshots. And, uh, and, we, and with the type of technologies today, um, you know, we, we have access to this real-time, real-world continuous data. And this is the type of data that we know nothing about, right? I mean, as from a as a cardiologist, for example, I have no idea what your you know blood pressure is when you're sitting in traffic and yelling at the guy you know in the next car. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and this is the type of information that can unlock so many new insights uh, around disease processes in general, the the, the progression and the uh, and the and, and ways of quantifying uh, these processes to allow better monitoring um, and be more proactive. So that's, uh, that, that's kind of what, uh, um, what the pivot was. So to go into this remote patient monitoring space uh, and, uh, and the name just stayed on. But, uh, but yeah, so only about uh, um, a year, year and a half ago now, we decided to sort of do our rebrand and uh, and, 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 and call ourselves humor, but nothing has changed otherwise. It's, it was just a, a rebranding exercise and humor, um, first of all, it's very similar to the word human, I guess. And, uh, and at the same time, humor is, a, uh, I believe, a, a, an ancient bird that, uh, you know, if it flies over you and, you know, it brings health and longevity, uh, for the rest of your life, so so you know there was a lot of thinking that went behind the the name and the and the logo and everything.
Yep. Absolutely. No, I love the logo. And uh, yeah, that that's why I often pronounce it as Homa, which is like the, the Persian word of the, the bird. Um, so Dan, the first time I heard uh, him speak was actually, well, it was, a, I think it was on his trip to China with the prime minister at the time a few years ago. And I was listening to BBC Radio 4 uh, on my drive to work. And this was actually in Cyprus. And I fell in love when, with what you were doing. And that was back then. But as you have been evolving at uh, Humor, I can see it's falling in line with, you know, my perspective as a preventive medicine or public health doctor of doing things more proactively. But uh, just before we, we talk about some other things, I really want to just dig deep onto maybe a couple of use cases if we could. So if I understand correctly, you know, we talk about how 90% of health is outside of that clinical exchange that, you know, it's in the homes we live in, but you're monitoring using wearables and other kind of sensors and, and you know, ca cameras, whatever. I'd love to hear what these could be, but you're monitoring these both health uh, indicators, but also perhaps the determinants of those outcome indicators. And you're using that to inform patient prevention, treatment, management. Uh, is that what you're doing, but also understanding the, the disease processes a bit more for research? I mean, can you just walk me through one specific use case, perhaps? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so we, what we tried to do was to, um, I guess, going back, you know, what, what, what a lot of other uh, digital health uh, companies and technologies sort of try to do is to really stay focused on a one core sort of disease area, right? Uh, and, you know, let's say, let's take heart failure, for example, right? And, uh, and they would um, then work on trying to develop an algorithm, for example, that can detect um, decompensation early, right? Uh, three, four days early, because we know that, you know, if we can predict and catch that earlier, we can prevent an admission or, you know, a, a seven-day admission can be reduced to a one-day admission um, and so on. But And, and then there is a very uh, clear ROI, right, when you're trying to um, sell that solution to healthcare systems, for example. And uh, But the problem with that approach is you spend you know, years running your clinical studies, you know, refining your algorithms, doing your technical validation, your clinical validation, um, getting the patient's perspective, trying to get the regulatory bodies to approve your algorithm. And then, and then after two, three years of that work and investment, you have your algorithm, and then you try to build a platform around that, right? Uh, so we, decided to sort of go about it the other way around. We thought, you know, why don't we create a highly scalable, modular, configurable data collection and visualization platform, right? Um, so that, that we're, we're disease agnostic, we are device agnostic, uh, and, uh, and, and, and that also creates that single user experience because, um, you know, what, what a healthcare system or hospital or uh, what they don't want to do is to give their patients with 
multiple comorbidities, 10 different applications, right? Oh, here's an app for your diabetes. Here's an app for your, <laughs> you know, uh, migraines. And, you know, it, it, it really doesn't work, right? So how can we unify all of that under one single platform with a single sort of user experience where we can tackle multiple conditions, right? So that was the that was the idea, and and it took uh, it took a lot of learnings and uh, mistakes over the years uh, to get to where we are today. I mean, um, in terms of like our our backend, and I, I know all of this, you know, technical <laughs> uh, lingo these days. But you know, our, we had to build. And, and rebuild our entire backend three times over uh, in the last, you know, three, three and a half years I've been at Huma in order to get to this sort of scalability where we can, um, you know, launch digital health solutions and store patient data in a secure way in multiple different geographies and, uh, you know, operate in, in Asia and Middle East and UK and US and Europe. And we really had that ambition, right? We wanted to be that that global uh, platform, um, and and at the same time, we wanted to be cloud agnostic as well. So we didn't want to be tied to a certain uh, cloud provider because, uh, again, um, these um, data requirements and the and the and the cloud providers again, it's that. Uh, what they, what kind of services they offer on their clouds, you know, it really varies from geography to geography. So uh, we wanted to be cloud agnostic, device agnostic, disease agnostic, and 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 that's what we built because the the whole idea was that if we can then scale this solution as a remote patient monitoring platform across multiple diseases, and at the same time use the same platform to run decentralized virtual clinical trials. Um, so essentially, you know, delivering care and research remotely, that's what we do, right? Uh, then this highly valuable data that I'm talking about, you know, the data that never existed before, the real world, the continuous data, the sensor data, you know, then it starts to accumulate, right? Uh, because we know that the platform can add value immediately as it is today, but then for the future, that data, as it starts to accumulate, it enables these uh, research opportunities and development of new predictive algorithms and digital biomarkers that we can then um, validate and, 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 and plug back into the platform to um, uh, essentially uh, add more value to the, to the, to the solution uh, for the clinicians and the patients who are using it. Now, if I wanted to give you an example, <laughs> a use case, um, when uh, when the pandemic hit, right, uh, we were faced with a with a with a with a disease that never existed before, <laughs> uh, but you know we were ready from a platform perspective because of the way that we built it, because of the way that it was modular, because it was configurable, you know, that enabled us to launch solutions in a matter of weeks to support patients who were, uh, who, who were testing positive for COVID-19 and were self-isolating at home, right? Uh, and 
you know, the metrics that we wanted to track, you know, we, you know, we, we signed a contract with the Ministry of Health in Germany and launched these solutions in a, uh, in a national scale there. Uh, and uh, working closely with NHSX, NHS England here, we started launching, um, you know, virtual wards for COVID-19 across uh, the sort of uh, uh, greater London and, and, the, and the attachment areas outside. Um, and to do that, you know, we just had to sit down uh, with, um, you know, a few infectious disease professors and ICU consultants and, you know, our clinical team at Huma here. And, and we could basically just like Lego blocks, right? Pick and choose the different data collection tools. Okay, what's important for COVID-19? We want to monitor oxygen saturations. Okay, let's plug that in there. What are the symptoms that we want to track? Okay, let's configure the symptom tracker accordingly. You know, let's add heart rate in there and let's use some of the technologies that we have from the camera to measure the heart rate, right? And uh, let's uh, add some educational content. And and just by sort of picking and choosing, and uh, the clinicians. The clinical teams or the research teams can essentially create uh, care plans uh, or study protocols in the case of research, right? And that essentially means um, a timeline of activities for the patient, right? Uh, you know, today, what do I have to do today, right? I need to report my blood pressure or I need to answer this questionnaire and what, what's coming up next week. So, you know, we're basically creating these remote care plans and study protocols and enabling that data collection um, in, a, in, a, in a more continuous way outside of the, the, the settings of the hospital. Uh, and, uh, and as a result of that, you know, we, we've mon monitored, you know, thousands and thousands of COVID-19 patients. And as you know, when they deteriorate at home, they deteriorate quickly, right? The oxygen sats drop and then, uh, you know, um, and, and then they end up in intensive care. Um, so by being able to monitor the vital signs, the symptoms, the activity levels of these patients who are self-isolating at home, um, we were able to intervene earlier. Uh, we were able to prevent admissions, unnecessary admissions to the hospital. Uh, we were able to double the capacity of the hospitals. Uh, we were able to free up ICU beds and, and overall bring efficiency to the healthcare system, but at the same time, providing support for these patients who are anxious, scared, you know, alone at home, by themselves, uh, not knowing what to expect, you know, being able to provide that connectivity to their clinical teams and that reassurance that they're being looked after was uh, invaluable. And, uh, and, and, and on the back of the success of that, we're obviously expanding all of this work, both in Germany and UK and other geographies as well. Uh, to multiple uh, different therapeutic areas. And one other great example I can give is uh, we, through our decentralized clinical trial platform, it's essentially the same platform with a, a few additional features. We are now supporting, I believe, one of the world's largest, it may be the world's largest virtual clinical trial for um, one of the COVID-19 vaccines um, as, a, as a phase four study, right? And, and everything that we have done up until today 
has led to us being able to do this study because the study we are running, we're looking at about 30 to 40,000 participants, right? Uh, recruiting patients across seven or eight different countries in two different continents, in eight different languages, <laughs> and, and doing all of this virtually, right? No site visits, uh, you know, nothing like that. They just, you know, anybody who receives the vaccine gets a, uh, gets a text message or an email and they're asked to download the application and then they start inputting data and, and, and that data goes to the research teams and so on and so forth. So this type of research was never before possible. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and there's a very rapid adaption uh, adoption of, of, of both our PM technologies in the healthcare setting accelerated by COVID, but also decentralized clinical trial solutions um, in, the, in the life science space as well, because it accelerates timelines, it accelerates recruitment, uh, it uh, reduces costs, it enables quicker go-no-go decisions uh, for the regulators uh, and, uh, and provides that valuable real-world data in terms of testing the efficacy and the safety <laughs> of the solutions, right? So that's uh, that's that's basically what Huma does, and uh, and on the back of the the data that we collect, we uh, we try to build new predictive algorithms that can enhance the the, the capabilities of the platform as, as a whole. I think, go on, go on, carry on, mate. No, no, I was going to apologize for talking so much. No, 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 no. I just want to say thank you. First of all, thanks for the work that you guys have been doing. I wasn't aware of uh, what you've been doing for COVID, to be honest, because I've been so head down deep into the trenches of the response. And um, first of all, thank you. And you know what I think about humor and you just made me fall in love again with what you guys are doing. So thanks for, for all that you guys are up to. And as you say, it's it, it's like compounding interest. The more you do, the more capabilities you have, the more opportunities arise in the future. So it's important for preparedness activities as well for, for these kinds of things in, in the long run. Um, just, just for a clarification before I just ask you something completely different. Um, so you don't depend on the health records of the patient in care. You you create your own data set essentially. Excellent. Okay, that, that gets rid of us a lot of problems. Uh, that's correct. Although the way that we collect the data is uh, cleaned and structured and and and, uh, and 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 meets the sort of you know the fire standards and sure. so on, so that it's sure. compatible with EMR data. So you can extract the data that we collect anytime and analyze it alongside your EMR data and so on. Because that's when this type of data becomes really valuable right. if you can combine it with you know. EMR data, clinical lab results, uh, imaging, genomics, you know, it's, it's really, that's, that's, the, that's the holy grail of data, right? You know, if we, can, if we can have the full movie rather than snapshots, you know, we, we have our genomics, of course, and then you have your snapshot EMR and lab tests and diagnoses and so on. And then what we're trying to fill in with our platform is the gaps in between. And, and if you can have the full movie, then, you know, the, 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 the types of insights that can come out of that and uh, will fundamentally change the way we deliver healthcare, I believe. Put yourself outside of humor for a second. This is Mert now, the cardiologist, 
you know, head of clinical strategy and the person that is you today with all your experience today, if you were going to solve or launch your own startup in the future, I mean, we're just thinking outside the box right now. What problem would you love to solve? What problem do you feel needs to be solved right now in, in health and care? There are too many. <laughs> Which one would you love to solve? I think I would probably go back to trying to solve what we're trying to solve here. And again, not what we're solving today, but what we want to solve in the future. Because I, I, I'm a big believer in, 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 in prevention and, 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 and predictive uh, healthcare. And, and when I first met Dan, <laughs> you know, one of the first things he told me was, can we predict heart attacks? You know, and uh, and that's what we're working towards, right? You know, and that's 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 what I would love to solve. You know, can we have a technology that is, you know, and and it, whether that's you know through a smartphone, whether that's through a wearable, whether it's you know a chip that's embedded underneath your skin, who knows, right? Uh, that has a whole variety of different algorithms that are continuously monitoring you in a dynamic way, providing you with your trajectories of risk, telling you about the areas that you can improve, but the, how that then affects the trajectories of risk going forward and telling you about a potential disease or an event, you know, days, weeks in advance so that you can do something about it. I think that's the, that's, that's, that for me is the biggest challenge to solve. I mean, I, I've seen enough heart attacks and strokes and, you know, I've seen families that, you know, are you know, broken and, and, and because of a unexpected, you know, heart attack that, uh, you know, took their father or their mother in their 40s and their early, even even in their 30s. And, and, and I don't want to see any of that anymore. And, and if we can solve and tackle that and try to enable everyone to at least, you know, <laughs> get to their 70s, 80s, you know, with a good quality of life, uh, I think that's the, the biggest challenge for me uh, in healthcare to solve. Yeah.